ask if you please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read the whole chapter. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves again to you, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are for in your right mind, it is for you. For the love of God, sorry, the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. May he write his eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Almighty God, holy, holy, holy God. As we stand here now, we know that one day we will stand before you, before the judgment seat of Christ. This is true not only for us, but for every man and woman and child who has ever and will ever walk the earth. And we praise you, Lord, that through the gospel, through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, his death in our place, his life in our place, that, that we know that we will stand on that day because of him and because of faith in him alone. 
And Father, as those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, you have entrusted us with the message of reconciliation in Christ. As those who have been reconciled to you through the blood of Christ, you have now given us the privilege, this treasure in jars of clay, this, this gospel, this message that needs to go out to this dead and dying world. Help us, I pray, as those who will give an account, not as those who will be cast into hell, but as those who, who trust in Christ, have been indwelled by your Spirit and are empowered for every work of ministry that you have ever prepared for us in advance. Lord, that, that help us to see that we have a responsibility to share the message of the gospel with all those that you have placed in our path. Help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to the work of your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be so filled with love for you that we love others. and We love others enough to tell them a truth, the truth about sin. The fact that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us, Lord, I pray, to go forth with that message and save many, even save many, Lord, who are championing the wickedness of abortion and euthanasia in this country. Lord, the gospel is what we need most of all to, to bring an end to these evils. Help us, Lord, as your ministers to proclaim the gospel. Bring change through the gospel for the glory of your name. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In June of last year, the American Supreme Court overturned the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, putting the issue of abortion into the hands of each state and in line with the Constitution. And the, the country was immediately split down the middle on this issue. Half of the states effectively outlawed abortion or actively moving towards outlawing abortion. But the other half of the states passed legislation to protect abortion or even to expand access to abortion. You probably remember this from the news. There was so much anger on the pro, from the pro-abortion camp around that time, even here in Canada, where, where the Roe versus Wade decision has really no direct influence whatsoever. I remember just after it had passed, we were, were coming back from, from prayer around the hospital, and there was a, a small number of protesters along Pandozi Street with, with pro-abortion signs, and, and one of the signs said, abortion is health care. So I... I don't know whether it was righteous anger or not. Knowing me, it probably was, was some mixture. But I said, abortion is not health care. Abortion is killing babies. And Liam actually, and it was sort of the, the, one of the women there yelled at me and said, you kill babies. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. But Liam then afterwards said, Daddy, if, if they're saying that abortion is, is good, why are they insulting you by saying you kill babies? He had a lot more logic and wisdom than those pro-abortion activists. 
But around that time, I was, I was walking over to, to visit Tyler and Cody, and I, I noticed a sign in one of the, the windows in, in a home along the way. And it, this, this sign read, not your body, not your choice. And I thought at first, well, that, that's a great pro-life slogan. Not your body, not your choice. But then I quickly realized that the sign was actually in support of abortion along the lines of, of my body, my choice. But if you think about it, that, that slogan actually fits the pro-life position much better. It's not your body, it's not your choice. The, the body of, of the baby living in the mother's womb is not a part of that mother's body. It, it is a distinct, a distinct human body. The body does not belong to her, but to God. And not only that, but the mother's body doesn't belong to her either. That is also God's body. It belongs to God. The same is true for, for so-called euthanasia, which is from the Greek good death. It's not a good death. It is murder. You do not own the body that you are living in, and you do not have the right to kill it. No doctor has the right to kill a body that belongs to God either. So it's true, when it comes to abortion or to euthanasia, it isn't your body and it isn't your choice. That sign, although faded, is still there in that window. It, its message, though, its pro-life message, is just as true today as it was then. And that, that message, since seeing that sign, that, that message, this message has been burning in my heart. It's a message that we need to hear, and it's a message that we need to proclaim. We all need to proclaim this message loudly and broadly. Now, what I'm going to be doing this morning in, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday is, is not a typical expository sermon where I, I walk through a passage and make application. What I want to talk about this morning does come directly from 2 Corinthians 5, but I really want to focus on a few key verses around this message of not your body, not your choice, as it relates to pro-life issues and to our responsibility as Christ's church. In order to understand the context of 2 Corinthians 5, you need to go back into chapter 4, where Paul is saying that we have the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. You understand that, right? The, the gospel is treasure, and your body, God's body, is a jar of clay. And as Christians, though we suffer in the body, our spirit is being renewed and prepared for eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's, that's the context that leads into chapter 5. And then in chapter 5, Paul goes on to talk about how we walk by faith, not by sight. How we are eagerly awaiting being with Christ for all eternity. Seeking to please Him, knowing that everyone will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. As verse 10 says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, while Paul is speaking here directly to those who profess faith, the warning of God's judgment here applies to everyone. As Charles Simeon explains, all who have ever existed from the beginning to the end of the world shall stand at his bar. None shall be able to endure, to elude, or to withstand the summons. 
Listen, every single person who has ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one will receive the recompense he or she deserves, whether reward for the believer or punishment for the unbeliever. Every single person, every single neighbor, every single person you walk past when you're walking down the street, every single person you are in line next to at the bank, every teller at the grocery store, every family member, every person in this church, we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Will they or will you stand before Christ as a believer? Or will you fall before Christ and be cast into eternal hell as an unbeliever? It's very sobering. We need to realize that every human being has an eternal soul. We have this message of the gospel. We have this treasure of the gospel that we have been called and commanded to share with those that God places in our path. In our day and age where wickedness runs rampant, the evil of abortion has to be the single greatest moral crime on earth. That's not just in Canada. It is a global problem. There are close to 72 million babies killed by abortion every single year. 72 million. There, there's a, a ticker, the, the world, uh, it's, called, it's called the world clock, and it, you can, and it shows, a, there's a ticker that comes up on there, and it shows you the number of abortions that are taking place, even while you're looking at the website, and then the number already just since the beginning of January is over 1.5 million. That's the three weeks into 2023. It's, it's, it's really hard for me to look at because I think every time that, that meter ticks over, it's another baby, another baby, another baby. In the United States, there are about one million babies killed every year. And the abortion rate in Canada is proportionally similar. There, there are, we have roughly one-tenth of the population of the U.S. and roughly one-tenth of the number of abortions. There are about 100,000 babies aborted every year in this country, about 300 a day. But perhaps even more shocking is, is the fact that, that roughly 20% of the pregnancies in Canada and the U.S. ended in abortion. 20%. One in five of the pregnancies that take place in North America end with abortion. I, I was so shocked by this that I, that I had to go back and, and confirm it with, with a couple of websites. Even from the, the Guttmacher Institute, which is actually a pro-abortion uh, a non-government organization. They confirmed it. One in five. I'm gravely concerned about the increased avail availability of the abortion pill, ironically named RU486. In other words, are you 486ing these babies? Women can, can even get a prescription online and get the pill mailed to them so they can kill their babies in the privacy of their own home. And in the United States, even though several states have outlawed abortion, it is notoriously easy to mail the drug across state lines. Even though it's technically illegal, there's doctors who have said, I will stake my license on, on the fact that I'm going to do this. Cases are also mounting 
where, where boyfriends have spiked a pregnant girlfriend's drink with an abortion pill. Also ex- extremely troubling is the, the, is the, the crime of, of gender-selective abortion, which is extremely common in some countries, particularly China, India, and Pakistan. And immigrants to Canada have brought the practice with them in this country. I remember seeing some time ago a, a public service ad saying, bring an end to, to gender-selective abortion, where little, little girls are killed simply because they are not boys. In 2021, conservative MP Kathy Wagenthal tried to introduce a member's bill in order to try to ban the practice, but this bill was overturned 248 to 82. It shows how enshrined abortion is in our country that even something so wickedly discriminatory as killing your baby because she's a girl is seen as a right to be protected by our government. And when we consider the, the sanctity of life, we also have to include euthanasia with abortion because although the number of deaths is, is much lower, it's really still the, the, the same sin. The sin of murder. Euthanasia was legalized in Canada in 2016, and the number of murders has increased significantly every year. I don't have the data for 2022, but in 2021, there were 10,000 people in Canada through the so-called MAID program. MAID is an acronym that stands for Medical Assistance in Dying. Whatever you call it, murder is murder. The number is going to increase significantly as legislation was passed in Canada in December that now extends the offer of medically assisted suicide to those who are suffering from mental illness. So under this legislation, even minors can be killed. Children. Canada now has the the dubious honor of being among the countries with the broadest practice of medically assisted suicide in the world. People with disabilities are routinely offered euthanasia as a so-called treatment option. Even society recognizes the, the, the problem with this. But, but, but because people recognize that we shouldn't be discriminating against, against disabilities and, 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 and offering them to die more than other people. But the reality is that this has been done with our seniors for many years, and we are lying to ourselves if we say that this began in 2016. This has been going on for a lot longer than that. Not only is euthanasia in stark opposition to God's word, but it is a violation of doctors' own code of ethics. The Hippocratic Oath that, that most medical schools in Canada still use is a commendable document, aside from the fact that it's a pagan oath. But new doctors swear to do no harm to their patients and swear, and I quote, I will not give a lethal drug to anyone if I am asked, nor will I advise such a plan. And similarly, I will not give a woman a pessary, that's a, a medication, to cause an abortion. That's right there in the Hippocratic Oath. It's no exaggeration to say that the aged, the infirm, and the disabled are actively targeted for death and our culture of death. Objecting voices in the medical profession are censured or silenced. Perhaps even more shockingly, but equally wicked, last October, 
Dr. Louis Roy, who is re representing the Quebec College of Physicians, has called for the euthanasia of sick and deformed infants. I know of many testimonies, we've experienced a testimony where, where when there, there's evidence that, that a child is unwell in the womb, that they push abortion on you. But now they're saying it even beyond birth. Now, initially there was public outcry, but, but given some time, this too will be practiced in our country. Friends, if this reminds you of Nazi Germany, you are not alone. Tim Staten, who's the, the director of the Canadian Institute for Inclusion and Citizenship at UBC, said the country's, this country's radical euthanasia laws are probably the biggest existential threat to disabled people, and I would argue to all people, since the Nazis program in Germany in the 1930s. He continues, Unfettered accessibility could indeed prove to be one of the most malignant forces for the disability community has had to contend with since the mercy killings of the Third Reich almost nine decades ago. And I'd say it's not just those with disabilities, it's but to our whole community. Even the UN recognizes this is discriminatory and runs contrary to human rights standards. Now, these sins make us angry, and so they should. But now as we begin to reflect on, on ourselves and our response, we need to ask ourselves the question is, if you get angry about these things, what kind of anger do you display? And I know I have to exercise my heart on these things on a regular basis. James 1.20 warns that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Similarly, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. So then there is fleshly anger and there is righteous anger. What's the difference between the two? Well, these two verses highlight the difference in result. Fleshly human anger does not lead to righteousness. Instead, it opens the door to the devil. So fleshly and righteous anger have different results, but they also have fundamentally different motivations and fundamentally different measures. Righteous anger is motivated by God and, and the, is always in right measure, not too much anger and not too little measure. It always fits the, the sin perfectly. Righteous anger is motivated by God and a desire for His holiness and His righteousness to be upheld. Righteous anger is in right measure. In other words, that, that you, don't, you don't get too angry. If, if somebody sins against you, you, you think about it in perspective of God and His holiness, so you respond in the, the right way. But fleshly human anger, on the other hand, is focused on self. It's, it's turned back on me. It's on, on how I am personally impacted by this or inconvenienced by this. Again, if I'm honest with myself, I have to admit that, that the vast, vast majority of anger that I exhibit is at least tainted with the flesh. I know I'm not alone in this. 
But how often do you hear yourself saying, this makes me so angry? We've talked about this before many times. But the, the, circum, but the, the, the circumstances that you experience don't make you angry. They just reveal the anger that is already there in your heart. And if you find yourself getting angry, guess what? There's an idol that is being revealed. Something in that moment that you love more than God and his righteousness. And so in that sense, anger is actually helpful as a, as a spiritual barometer to help us to see what we are putting ahead of God in our lives. And, and it's also in the case of, of abortion and euthanasia that at least I'll speak for myself, that, that far too often the anger that comes out of my heart over these issues is fleshly anger. Not anger that is concerned ultimately with the righteousness of God. The person who is exhibiting fleshly anger about abortion and euthanasia might get fired up about it, but isn't likely to do anything about it, at least not anything godly or constructive. I know someone from, from another church who, who has people from his church, had people from his church standing outside of an abortion clinic with signs that say, this way to the baby sacrificing temple. Now on one level, he's right. That's essentially what an abortion clinic is. But do those signs reflect Christ? Is it loving? Is it kind? Is it going to open doors for gospel conversation or slam them shut? And that's why we as a church have, have partnered with Speak for the Unborn, because it is consciously gospel-centered, compelled by love, and winsome. Now, some people struggle with the word winsome, but, but it's really, it's kindness. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle with all men, able to teach in meekness, instructing those that oppose them. Trusting that God will grant repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves from the snare of the devil, taken him captive to do his will. If somebody comes to repentance, it is not going to be ever by your anger or any force of your will or mine. Again, we want our ministry to be, to be gospel-centered, to be loving and kind. I'll speak more about Speak for the Unborn in a few moments. But then when it comes to abortion and euthanasia, it is right to be angry provided that it is righteous anger. And how do you do that? How do you, you shift from fleshly anger to righteous anger? It's by consciously bringing God into your thoughts. It's remembering who God is and who you are. And who you are by the grace of God and who you are if you were apart from the grace of God. So first of all, we need to recognize that these issues make God angry. He will deal with it. Psalm 7, 11 to 13 says, God is a righteous judge and God, a God who feels indignation every day. If man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. And that was all of us. We, we were living under the wrath of God, just and it was only, that as, as Jonathan Edwards talks about in sermons in the hands of an angry God in this text, he says that it was only the mere pleasure of God that kept that, that arrow of God's wrath to be from being let fly into your bosom. 
We are the objects of the mercy of God. We do not deserve God's kindness and mercy. We realize that, that, that we need to have that heart and that mindset as we approach others who are involved in and who are promoting abortion and euthanasia. As our text says, all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. All who participate in and promote abortion will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and will receive what is due for what they have done in the body. All who participate in and promote euthanasia will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive what is due for what they have done in the body. It is not their body. It is not their choice. No sin will go unpunished by God. All sin, every sin, is either on the head of the unbeliever or has been poured out on the head of Jesus Christ. Who drank the full wrath of God for our sins. That is our only hope before the judgment seat of Christ. Those who do not repent will suffer conscious torment in perfect measure for all eternity. So we don't need to act as judge, jury, and executioner in our own heart and mind. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, said the Lord. Romans 12, 19. But this doesn't mean you do nothing. We aren't hyper-Calvinists. The scriptures teach, teach God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. This passage is directly addressing those who profess faith in Christ. We too will appear before the judgment seat of Christ for what we have done in the body. Now again, let me be expressly clear on this. This does not mean that we will be condemned along with unbelievers, but that rewards will be meted out based on our actions and the motivation for our actions. And this judgment seat of Christ will also reveal the reality of our profession. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. I'm sure this passage is very familiar to you. Where Jesus is, is speaking of the final judgment. Matthew 25. First of all, verses 31 to 34. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. He will place the sheep on His right, sorry, and the King will say to those on His right, Come, you are blessed by My Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 41. It will say to those on his left, depart from you, cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So what distinguishes the sheep on his right from the goats on Christ's left? Those who are true sheep care for the vulnerable and the needy. Jesus says that when they did this unto them, they were doing it as unto him. Conversely, those who were actually goats did not care for the vulnerable and the needy. And the refusal to do so was evidence of a refusal of Christ. Again, listen carefully. 
The Lord is not saying here that people are saved by these works. Rather, he's saying that that works reveal true salvation or the absence of true salvation. James 2.17 says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Faith always results in a change of works, thought of words, thoughts, and actions through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So then, brothers and sisters, we need to examine our own actions. We need to examine ourselves. We need to cultivate a holy fear of God that results in zeal for righteousness, including caring for the vulnerable and the needy. And who is more vulnerable and needy than children in the wombs of mothers who don't want them? Who is more vulnerable in our culture than seniors and the disabled and infirm? Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 exhorts us, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? He's speaking here to, to those who claim ignorance. He says, you actually know the right thing to do and did not do it. Again, this is not just for those who practice and promote abortion in euthanasia, but those who will be repaid for their actions. We all will be repaid for our actions. May the Lord give us all a holy fear of Him. Again, for the believer, this is not the fear of being cast into hell. But the fear of God is holy, reverent awe. It's the heartfelt revulsion at the thought of displeasing or dishonoring Christ in our thoughts, words, and actions. But it's also the, the fear, the, the heartfelt revulsion at the thought of displeasing or dishonoring Christ in the absence of proper thoughts, words, and actions. It's the horror at the thought of sinning against God in sins of commission or omission, of doing what we should not and of not doing what we should. So then what would the Lord have us do? when it comes to abortion and euthanasia? The answer is right here in our text in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, because of what he's just said, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The answer, at least a big part of the answer, is in sharing the gospel. We who know the Lord and know the fear of the Lord want others to know the Lord and to know the fear of the Lord. Far and, the, and far away, the best way to turn someone away from abortion and euthanasia is by proclaiming the gospel to them. Those who are given new hearts will also have new desires. Those who were pro-death will become pro-life. And this also means sharing the gospel with those who've been actively involved in, uh, in abortion and euthanasia. Now, obviously, those who have been euthanized cannot repent. But those who have had abortions can. Friends, women are being sold a lie. They're being told that they can walk away from an abortion unaffected. They can't. They, they know in their heart what they've done. And, and in the flesh, 
try as they might, they can never overcome that guilt. Several years ago, Jane and I went to a, a pro-life lunch here in Kelowna, and, and there it was obvious right off the bat it was heavily influenced by, by Roman Catholicism. There was, there was actually monks with robes and nuns walking around. And afterwards, there was a, there was a, a ministry representative there called Rachel's Vineyard. And it's, it's a, a ministry that is, it purports to help women who have, who have had abortions. And I went up to, to talk to the, to the woman at, 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 the, uh, at the booth, and she, and she gave me a pamphlet, and it talked about what their ministry involved. It involved psychological counseling. It involved walking a labyrinth. There was no gospel. None whatsoever. There was no offer of hope and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, which is what these women so desperately need to hear. It's what we all desperately need to hear. I have dear friends, godly women, who have found forgiveness in Jesus Christ after having had abortions. They know that the mercies of God are new every single morning. And they provide powerful testimony of the evils of abortion, but also of the wonder of the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. They can personally testify what it feels like to have had their sins removed as far as the east is from the west, to be washed whiter than snow by the blood of the Lamb. And really when we think about the, about the gospel in, in pro-life ministry, it's, it's not just there, it's across the board, but it's also absent in so, in so many gospel ministries. As I said, that at that pro-life lunch, there was no gospel at all, anywhere. Nothing. I think a big part that this, because so much of pro-life ministry is, is ecumenical. Roman Catholics are, are uh, it is full of, of Roman Catholics and, and proponents of the new apostolic reformation. Now we commend those who, who are pro-life, even those who are Roman Catholic and, and follow the, the false gospel of this third wave new apostolic reformation. We commend them for their desire to protect life but we need to understand that we have a very different motivation from them. We seek to protect life because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now those who, who stand outside the, the hospital are doing a good thing. But if it is an attempt to somehow earn favor with God, it's a wrong motivation. We are motivated by the fact that these children belong to God. That we belong to God. Those bodies in the womb are God's bodies. You are made in the image of God and your ultimate value is as a worshiper of God, either potentially or actually. This, this makes sense in light of the, the positive requirement of the first commandment, to worship God. Mark Jones applies this to the principle, principle of abortion. He says, each abortion potentially robs Christ of an embodied living worshiper. The kind God seeks to glorify both himself and his son. He says abortion is so wrong because it robs God of his highest prerogative in the world, a creature made in the image of Christ who worships God by the Spirit. Daryl sent me a link yesterday that, that says similarly, each preborn life possesses 
untold potential to declare, God, you are worthy of praise. So killing that baby in the womb robs God of the glory that is due his name. And so when we, when we seek to, to promote the gospel, we, we aren't motivated only by holy fear of Christ. We're also motivated by holy love of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And if he, he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ died and was raised for us so that we will live for him, so that we will love him. And if we love Christ, we will love others. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 25. The sheep love and care for the vulnerable and needy, but the goats don't. So bringing this home, we need to ask ourselves, all of us, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about abortion and euthanasia? What are we as a church doing and what are we individually doing? All who are silent about it will also appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All who do not use their God-given influence to end this wickedness will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we all have to get out there on a street corner and preach about these things. But have you spoken to that pro-abortion co-worker or neighbor or family member about these things? I'm not even saying that, you, that we all need to go out to the, to the hospital and, and pray with, with Daryl and me on, on Tuesday mornings. Though I'd love it if you did. But when was the last time you prayed for an end to abortion? I mean, really prayed. Now, I know many are praying. There, there are many here, who, several from our church, who, who receive Jane's uh, prayer message every Tuesday morning. And if, if you are not receiving that but would like to, then approach Jane and she'd be happy to add you to the list. Every First thing every Tuesday morning, she sends out a, a list for us to, to pray. And we do this on Tuesdays because it is, according to, to our, our latest information, that the abortions happen in our hospital here in Kelowna on, on Tuesdays. Now I would love for our church to be more involved in pro-life ministry, would you, would, you seek, would you seek the Lord with me? Asking him what he would have us do as a church. We're a small church, but the Lord often works through small things. Now there are opportunities we already have, but we're, we're seeking more. We've, we've tried things and, and the Lord has, has closed doors and opened others, but as I mentioned earlier, our church has partnered with, with Speak for the Unborn, and, and there are opportunities for, for training and, and for serving with them. But I've been clear that our most important task is, is, to, is to preach the gospel. In, in verses 16 to 21 of our passage, we see clearly that we have been given the, the ministry of reconciliation. That's, it's not just for pastors. We have all been given the ministry of reconciliation as those who have been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. We don't regard others anymore from a fleshly perspective. Paul says that once we regarded Christ 
from a fleshly perspective, but we do not do so any longer. We are now new creatures in Christ. And so we, we see those who are around us, even, even those who are in, involved in this wickedness and, and other wickedness, we see them now as potential worshipers of God, as those who belong to God, those whose bodies belong to God, and those who will stand before God and give an account to God. So we seek opportunities to, to tell them about Christ so that they too can glorify God in their lives instead of living in rebellion against God. And we do this not as though we are, 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 are looking down upon them from, from, from some moral position that, that we have in, in, our, in our of ourselves, but simply because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I talked about this before, but Ryan Fullerton, who was my, my pastor when I was in in seminary in Louisville, in his, in his, remember this clearly, in his first sermon on a Sanctity of Life Sunday was, was back in 2009. He said, real gospel humility shapes the way you talk to anybody about any sin. Real gospel humili humility shapes the way you talk to anybody about any sin. He said, gentleness is produced in hearts that understand the gospel. Explain that you were in exactly the same position as an abortionist because you committed the same sin as the abortionist. And add to that, you're, you're no better th than, than him or her. You, the same applies to euthanasia. You committed the same sin as the euthanizer. Not, not only was there sinful anger in your heart, which Jesus says is actually the sin of murder in the Sermon on the Mount, but you are responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I am responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. His blood was on your hands and mine. But praise God, your name and mine is engraved on his hands. His blood was shed for our sins. And so as those who have been reconciled to God by the blood of Christ, we have now been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Verses 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. By proclaiming the gospel, we give glory to God. And we give opportunity for others to glorify God. And we can serve even in a small way in this little church. We can serve to help overcome the evils of abortion and euthanasia in our culture by the right means and with the right motive. By proclaiming the gospel, we can, as Fanny Crosby calls us to do in her hymn, we can rescue the perishing, we can care for the dying, we can snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Let's pray together. Holy God, glorious God, righteous God, merciful, forgiving, 
and loving God. We thank you and praise you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for your whole life that was lived in sacrifice, in worship of Almighty God. So that in you, our sins can be taken away. And in you, we have received the righteousness of God. Help us, I pray, as your people who have been reconciled to God through you, Lord Jesus. Help us to boldly go and to proclaim this message of reconciliation. Even and especially amongst those who are championing the wickedness of abortion and euthanasia in this culture so that they too might turn from their sins. Might live and work for your glory by the strength you provide and the power of your spirit. Help us, I pray. We can't do any of this on our own. We fall so short in every way. But Lord Jesus, you have filled up everything that is lacking in our obedience. Holy Spirit, you give us what is lacking in our strength. Help us, I pray, to live and to serve you. That your kingdom might be advanced in and through us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.